Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forests. We all know that forests play a key role in combating climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. In this series, we explore how innovation, especially within tech tools, but also more broadly, can help us protect our forests and support the mission of FSC, which is to ensure responsible management of our forests worldwide. This episode of Forest for the Future is a bit different from the rest of our series, because in this particular episode, we don't focus in, on innovation in FSC as a system, but instead focus on what FSC has done and is doing to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic, both from an organizational point of view and as a certification scheme. I've invited our CEO, Kim Carstensen, for a talk on the challenges we're facing worldwide and how we're dealing with them, and on what we might learn from the pandemic and this new situations we find ourselves in. I've called the episode Members Edition because some of the content might be mostly relevant for members. But everyone is of course welcome to stay tuned and learn more about how we deal with the interruptions that COVID is presenting to our normal flow of general assemblies and decision-making processes. But let's dive right in. I've started out by asking Kim about what effect COVID has had on FSC and what we did to address it. Well, the first big thing we saw was, of course, that our employees in China had some consequences for them. And then we saw that the certification system in China suddenly couldn't work the way that it normally does. We couldn't do audits or certification bodies couldn't do audits in, in the places anymore because there was a lockdown, there was a travel ban and all of these things. And that has then since, of course, spread to most of the rest of the world where we cannot operate the way that the system normally does. So for that, we have had to uh, revise some of our rules. We have had to make it possible to do remote audits of the uh, certificates. We cannot just have a system where we don't have any audits because then we have no credibility, but we've tried to find ways that it can be done anyway. So building systems of how can you do an audit in a time when you cannot travel, that's been enormously important. Mm -hmm. And how have we gone about that? Like what's been, what's actually been done? Well, the technical term is derogations. That is an exception from a rule. And we have made a whole series of derogations for different problems that our auditors have come across. One would be, I cannot go and see this company. Can I do an audit anyway? Another one could be, ah, this company, by the way, at the moment is closed down. Nothing can be done. They're not producing. Can we postpone the audit? So those two questions as an example. Mm -hmm. And some might say that that we because we can now do virtual audits that that might put our our forest at risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've also heard people th saying, well, aren't FSE creating loopholes in the system? Are those perceptions correct? What we're doing is that we're, we're really trying to look at what specific risk is involved in this specific audit. Um, and in many orders, we would say, actually, the risk is probably not very big. Most of the orders are not in the forest. Most of the audits are in the chain of custody where we have many more certificates than we do in the forest. Um, and so that's not a risk for the forest management. It's not a risk for biodiversity. It's not a risk for all sorts of other things. There could be a risk for workers' rights and things like that that happen in, in, any, in any company. But we looked at the risk involved. And then we try to say, well, if there is a high risk, then we're not going to make this exception possible. But if the risk looks manageable, 
then yes, okay, it's fine. And then you get a period that you can operate with just a remote audit. But of course, as soon as the system is back on again, then we will return to the normal system of having audits where the audits actually comes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could you give a specific example of, so we've talked about uh, virtual audits. Could you give other specific examples of where we've adjusted? Well, I mean, there are different types of audits. So we've adjusted different types of audits and each of them needs a specific uh, exception. But the other big thing has been to, to enable postponement of the audit so that we could prolong the period inside which a, a, a company could work under certification, even though they couldn't get an audit. So we prolonged that from 12 months, say, to 18 months, that kind of thing. And then the third big thing is that in some cases, it's been very difficult to actually get material. I mean, for instance, for in many countries, recycled materials doesn't at the moment get produced because there's no recycling system functioning. So what do you then do if you're producing, say, recycled toilet paper? And for that, we've made an exception to say, okay, if you can guarantee your overall sort of balances that the recycled material over a period will be what it is on the label, then we'll accept that just for a while that you can actually not have all of the material as recycled, even though the label says so. Mm -hmm. But I guess you couldn't just put just anything in there in that no, of product. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, and, and those are some of the safeguards that we're doing. It has to be certified material. There can be some controlled material inside, but nothing that is not FSC eligible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So basically, we're trying to do our best not to create loopholes um, and still safeguard the risk. What has it meant for FSC as an organization? Are we at risk? I mean, financially, on a personnel side? It, I mean, it does mean that, that some of our incomes don't come to us. Uh, and we are seeing that now in the second quarter incomes that we would normally get. Um, our members may not know how our incomes come, so let me just explain a little bit. Our main income source is a fee that each certificate holder pays on the certificate that the company has. And that fee is an income to us, but it's collected by the certification body. So very often in the context of an audit, when that happens, then the audit company sends a bill for the audit, but then they include the fee to us in that bill as well. But when the audits don't happen, then that invoice doesn't also doesn't happen and then we don't get the fee. So that's something we will see now in this quarter. So the, the second quarter of 2020, we expect we'll see it again in the third quarter. We don't know anything about the fourth quarter. So we have an uncertainty about our income. Um, and for that reason, we've had to take some, some financial measures ourselves in terms of our overall budgets for this year. Mm -hmm. And what have those been? Well, I mean, we've we, we had a discussion with the board and it was very, very important for the board that we sort of spread the burden evenly across the organization. Not that we should cut everything to the same level, but that we should not sort of, we in, in the main office in Bond, we take the whole the whole uh, savings or say the network partners, all of our offices around the world would take the whole savings, but it should be reasonably evenly split. For the network partners, what we've done is that we have changed the agreement we had with them so that the income they normally get from us has been reduced to 75% of what it would otherwise have been, just mm -hmm. as an example. Mm -hmm. And how, how have the network offices then dealt with that cut? I mean, I'm probably not the right person to ask that question because mm -hmm. they would know better than I do. But my sense from what I hear from them is that they are tackling this very, very well. Um, 
what we had a global staff meeting recently where we had people from all over the world come together virtually of course and and i felt the mood at that meeting was really really good that we actually had good discussions good energy good views and visions for the future all of those things maybe even more than we would normally have because we've come together in a crisis and we need to find ways to get out of that crisis so my sense is the mood is good what i'm hearing also is that there's a lot of focus on fundraising and also that some network partners are beginning to work more together than they did before looking at each other's strengths and where can they help each other and maybe that's actually something we can also use for the future mm-hmm. yeah that isn't a bad thing for the future because we really want to collaborate mm-hmm. what about the offices who are quite dependent on the fees because we do have well we have different profiles of national offices right we have some national offices who've been used to for for since their their independent creation that they had to fundraise their own money Uh, the whole system of FSC international transferring funds to national offices is is a relatively new one compared to the history of FSC. Uh, So we have offices that are very experienced in fundraising, and then we have other offices that are more dependent on the funds from FSC international who are less experienced in fundraising. Um, What about those that are less experienced? How, How do we deal with those? Yeah. I mean, let me first of all say I'm really hoping out of this crisis that we will all get to a situation where we diversify our funding sources. That's important for us as FSG International. We need to get more diverse funding sources because we're too dependent on one source. And the same is true for the offices that are completely dependent on that part of the income from certificates in their country that we sent back to them. That's not healthy to have only one funding source that you depend on. What we're trying to do with those offices that in my mind, are too dependent on money that that comes back to them from us is that we're helping them with fundraising. So we're doing initiatives together with them. We are trying to fundraise for them. So we've gotten some money for FSC in Bolivia. We've gotten some money for FSC in Ecuador, who are two of the offices, very small offices who who have been very dependent on money from us. So we're trying to help as much as we can. But very happy also to see that offices are themselves taking up the challenge of doing things. I mean, FSC in Nicaragua, for mm-hmm. some years back, they were completely dependent on us. On now, actually not at all. They're finding, they've found other sources of funding for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're actually diversifying themselves. What yeah. about the staff in Bonn? Well, as I said, I mean, we try to spread the burden evenly. And, and what we've done in Bonn is that since the German management of the crisis, the German government management of the crisis has been quite good in in many ways. There's also a system of support to companies who get in some kind of a difficult situation for one or the other reason. And we, of course, have work areas that cannot progress at the moment. I mean, for instance, we postponed our General Assembly. One example, we're not working on the General Assembly the same way we would otherwise have done. So we can actually take some of the work burden a bit down. So what we've done is that we have put in work hours for the office in Bonn down to somewhere between 50 and 60% of the total. We've canceled a number of external contracts and stuff. So we will also end at a expenditure level for the office in Bonn, which is about the same as what we have given for the organization globally, 75% of the annual. Mm-hmm. And what about how do how do we work? Like, how does the staff work? Do they come into the office still? Or what are we doing in, in terms of making ends meet, I guess, for a lot of families? and 
I mean, first of all, many, many are in the situation that they have children and those children can't go to school and don't have any daycare or anything anymore. So they need to be at home and, and take care of the, of, the, of the children. So what we've done is that we've allowed much more flexible rules for work from home. And we've actually asked people not to come to the office. Normally, we would be 60, 60 to 80 people in the office on a normal day. At the moment, we're about 10 to 15 everybody in a single office. So you can come, but you're not allowed to sit together with anybody in an office. It's a little bit boring, but nonetheless, okay. Um, so we've done that. We're also using a German government system where the German government is topping up the salary. So if you go to say 50% of your normal work time and therefore 50% of your normal salary, the government tops up so that you end up at 80% in total of your salary. So we're also sort of cushioning the uh, the economic blow for people or the mm -hmm. government is. We shouldn't, we shouldn't brag at that. It's the government helping. Mm -hmm. How long do you think that this would last? I think that's anybody's guess. Um, we in Germany... Like in much of Western Europe, uh, systems are now in June slowly beginning to open up again. Um, we expect to come back to the office more, but gradually from mid-June onwards, and that we will then begin to resume normal work. But as I hear the developments in the States or in Brazil, it may take longer in, in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that uh, the General Assembly was one of the things that we've yeah. had to cut and postpone, yeah. uh, and that's also something that affects the, the organization as such very, very much. But does that postponement mean that members will have to wait another year before they can engage? It was, maybe maybe we yep. should start by saying, well, we only have the General Assembly every three years, so exactly. people really look forward to that yep. point of engagement and where they really can impact the system and, and introduce suggestions for changes. Yep. Um, no, the General Assemblies are crucially important for the life of the organization and extremely important moments in that life. And and postponing it is is not something we just do happily. I mean, it, it's really a problem. Has, that, that Has it ever been done before? Never, never. I mean, mm. we even had to check legally whether we can postpone the General Assembly because we want sure we can. So it, it was okay if we have a good reason. And of course, this pandemic is a very good reason. Mm. Um, so yes, it can be done. What the board when the board decided to postpone was very very keen on seeing happen was we want to use this postponement to then make sure that discussions in the membership can happen in ways we haven't seen before and that we can get to a general assembly that is much better prepared in terms of the motions that are proposed in terms of the uh, other decisions that need to be made etc so what we're doing to try to implement that is that we have a system now of regional member coordinators who are organizing webinars and helping members if they have a, an idea for a motion, how, what do I do to get it to actually be a motion? Or if I have an idea for an issue I'd like to discuss with other members, how do I do that? If I'd like to discuss in my chamber, how do I do that? And can you help set up a meeting, stuff like that? So that's, I think, has been very, very helpful. They've been in place now for about half a year and will continue for, for the coming period, continuing to do webinars for the members. We had some webinars on climate change, for instance, in Latin America with hundreds of participants, which is great. I mean, we only have 1160 members, I think it is. And we had 380 participants or something like that in a webinar in Latin America, which is great. Um, so that's one thing. Mm -hmm. So we're doing much more in terms of those discussions. Members can also now go to our members portal on the website. They need to log in. And if they don't have the login details, please Ask us and we'll get you the login details. Inside there, we now have discussion forums where you can discuss 
different issues. We put up three as a starting point, intact forest landscapes, which is very important in some countries, workers' rights, which are very important everywhere, and climate change, which is also very important everywhere. So those three topics are available now. There will be more coming, and members can also propose new topics for discussion. Mm -hmm. What is your sense? Do people use those farms? We just set them up. Uh, so I've only seen one so far, but I'm really <laughs> expecting there will be more. And I'm I'm hearing of a lot of interest. We did a little bit the same with the ideas for motions that came up. Mm -hmm. And and as you would expect, some of the ideas got very little reactions. I mean, they got maybe even zero. Or they got one or two reactions. Others got a lot of discussions. There is, for instance, a motion on motions. And that idea of a motion on motions, I don't think it's completely yet articulated, but there's a lot of interest. What does this mean? How can we do it? And some people say, oh, but motions are not good enough. They're not well enough prepared. We don't understand what we're voting on. Others say, but yes, but they are the way members can have an influence on the organization. There are no other ways. I would argue that that's actually not true, but nevertheless. So that discussion, for instance, is, is one that I, I think would be a big one. Mm -hmm. I actually have another example because mm -hmm. I was helping one of the Danish members pose a motion and and we found out too late, or that was my fault, that, that she had uh, to have a, a social chamber member from the Global South yeah. to support a motion. We had, yeah. we didn't have that. No. And actually through the portal, the last night of submitting motions, within 30 minutes, because we had only 30 minutes left, when she sent out a call on that platform, she ended up getting five or six people contacting her saying, wow. I'd like to support your motion. So that's a success story of how effective this tool actually could I, be. I guess that has two messages in it, right? It has one message. It must have been a pretty good motion since many people actually wanted to support it. And the other one would be that, yes, the system can actually work to create those contacts and those and, and those possibilities of members actually coming together around their ideas. And, and that cannot be anything but good. Mm -hmm. And now the motion window has closed now. Will yeah. will members get another uh, opportunity to engage before the General Assembly? Yes. So so what's happening now is that the motions that have been proposed, we have 32 of those, uh, <clears throat> they are now being assessed by, we have a motions committee of members who assess whether they fulfill the criteria and all of that. Then they will be, then they will be um, accepted mm -hmm. or not. I mean, there may be some that don't get accepted, but if they get accepted, then they are put back as accepted on that uh, motions platform. And then there can be more discussion about the mm -hmm. motion. So they're still open for discussion. We then have the discussion forums in parallel. I mean, I could. we already have on intact forest landscapes, I mentioned, I think we have four or five motions on that topic already. Mm -hmm. So that could be a place to also discuss, do we need five motions or can they be combined into one or, or what do we actually think about that? And then there will be another mo another window for new motions. Uh, that window has not been announced yet. We, the board decided there will be one. We haven't yet set the date for exactly when that will be, but it will be towards the end of this year. There'll be it'll be open, say maybe September, October, something like that, and then it will close again in January, February, or something like that. And then mm -hmm. any 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 new motion can be can be proposed under the same rules as as we had before. Mm -hmm. So you gut feeling that many are actually waiting for that because 32 motion. That's that's low. That, that's, to lower, that's lower than we've normally had. I mean, we had 96 in 2014. I think we had 67 or something like that, or 72 maybe in 2017. So it, it is low. We, we do know that many, that would probably always happen, were struggling in the last minute. And the example mm -hmm. you just gave was one of those. Uh, you then passed. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure there were others who didn't pass that line. And maybe also others who thought, well, okay, we know. They knew two weeks before 
that there was going to be another window. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many have probably also thought, well, let's let's wait a bit. I do know of some motions where people said, well, yes, but there's going to be more discussions happening anyway in this period. So let's not propose it now. Let's see what that discussion leads to. And then we can propose a, a more, a better based motion later. Mm-hmm. And in the ideal world, that's also what will happen, right? That all of the motions are actually do get better prepared and do get better aligned. So we actually only have to discuss 32 motions would be great to only have to discuss that amount. Yeah, there's also an interest among the members of finding other ways of discussing motions. I mean, do we need to have a a face-to-face come together 800 people General Assembly? Is that the only place we can decide things? And I think those are some ideas that that I hope will also come in the discussion because now that we see I mean, we've been forced now to do many more virtual meetings, and and I think we're learning to get better at it. Uh, And I think we will come out of this crisis in a a state where, oh, it wasn't that difficult. And technology is also developing very fast at the moment. I mean, we Mm -hmm. see these different systems getting better and better. So maybe we will actually, out of this, also find other ways that members can express their opinion. It doesn't have to be only every three years. I I don't know how this is going to look, and that will be something the members need to decide. But we know from the motions we've already seen, there is an interest in something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, and and would also be good for the, the organization as such to have a more fluent uh, engagement of members and and motions than just every three years and then there's a full stop and we have to take stock. What about all the other events like board meetings? You already mentioned the global staff meeting that went went uh, virtual. Like, what are you doing in those cases to still run the organization? Well, we're also doing virtual meetings for that. So in March, the board had its first ever full-scale virtual meeting. I mean, they've been meeting in telephone conferences and stuff like that earlier, but only for two hours and just for one or two topics. But now they met in a full board meeting over seven days, uh, three, four hours per day, discussing all the issues that would normally be on an agenda. And that really worked well. Um, How does that work with time differences? That's a, that, that's a nightmare. I mean, that, that, I mean it, some, some really suffered. So we, we split it at that time. Because we, we in the board, we have from the U.S. West Coast to Eastern Australia. So we're covering 18 time zones or something like that. Um, so either us in the middle, if, if we are in the middle, I'm not quite sure whether Europe or America <laughs> or Australia is in the middle. Depends but somebody, on where you are in the world. <laughs> <laughs> somebody in the middle has to get up in the middle of the night. So this was a couple of days hard on us in Europe um, because we started at... 11 p.m. or midnight, I think it was, and other nights were very hard on those in in Australia and in in uh, Los Angeles because they either needed to get up very early or they got to bed dreadfully late. Mm-hmm. We're doing it again in June. Um, we're having that that sort of two thirds of a board meeting, but it is four days or four hours each, 16 hours of discussion. For that meeting, we have been able to actually move one of the most difficult places, uh, which is the U.S. West Coast to the U.S. East Coast. So that's three hours less that we need to accommodate. And for that, we can actually have a situation where nobody starts earlier than 7 Mm a.m. and nobody ends later than 1 a.m. Well, I actually had, I work in an international team, as you know, and I actually had one of my U.S. colleagues say, well, because we had to make an in-person meeting virtual and his response actually was, well, I'm going to be, if I, I travel to Europe and participate in the meeting I, I would be jet lagged anyway, so yes. <laughs> when I'd be up in the middle of the night, or whether I'm jet lagged, it doesn't really make a difference. Right. 
So in that sense, I think this whole situation also uh, changes our perspective on what is actually possible with virtual meetings and meeting times, etc. I personally hope that that some of the less flying will stick afterwards. My clear plan is to travel way less in the future yeah. than I've done in the past. Oh, I've never mm. met anybody who travels as much as you do. So, exactly. I, <laughs> so I, I have something I can actually do with that. Yes, There's an improvement yeah. space yeah. there. Yeah. What about something like uh, <laughs> certification body? Sorry, I lost that word. What about certification body meetings? Because they also have regular meetings. We, we have an annual meeting with the certification bodies, which we use to sort of... Uh, harmonize their thinking our thinking they can tell us about issues they see with the with the companies is there an interest is there not an interest are the big issues and we can tell them about new ideas we have for for changes in the rules um and we have an annual meeting with them and, and we did that one virtually as well uh we had about and, and and that's one thing that we see from these big virtual meetings we get more people Mm -hmm. Because normally it would be too expensive to travel for at least some people. And a certification body would then send maybe two, max three people. But this time, wow, we can all participate. So they could actually have six, seven people participate in the discussions. We saw the same with the global staff meeting where we had up to 200 people. I don't think we would have had 200 people in any meeting inside the global staff meeting if we had not done it virtually. Mm -hmm. So it, it actually has some, some clear benefits. And from my perspective, I mean, given what you can now do with video cameras, what you can do with, I mean, have a meeting, go into breakout groups and all of these things. I mean, it's spectacular. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I think we were not alert enough to it before. And, so. and we didn't use these systems enough. And now we're forced to do it. And let's make that an advantage for us that we continue doing it in the future. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And then, of course, as well, learn how to make them more engaging because yeah. one of the downfalls is, of course, that it easily, if you don't prepare well, it easily ends up being a one-way communication. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, we also in the global staff meeting, we had fun sessions. We had somebody mixing margaritas in different ways. I mean, just honoring our Mexican roots as an organization. <laughs> I mean, downside is you don't get to taste the margaritas, but then you can do something else yourself or you can just well, follow the receipt and do it. Yeah, you got the recipe in advance, so that, that's your own fault. You're good. Um, okay, on, a, on a, a completely different topic, I know that FSC's recently joined uh, Green Recovery Alliance. Right. What is that? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's enormously important for us and for the world that we learn from this crisis and come out of it stronger than we went in. And I think we are learning on virtual meetings. We will get much, much better also at doing virtual audits. So remote audits, as we talked about earlier, I think we'll do many more of them in the future. And we're now with the technology team developing new tools to actually make that as credible as going to a place. And for the world, I think similarly, I mean, traffic will be different. I mean, I don't think we should travel so much, neither us nor anybody else. I think that when governments put enormous amounts of money into the crisis and into recovery plans from the crisis. I think it's valid to think about how can we make sure that that then helps us also with the climate crisis, which is as big and as important as what we're seeing just now, the biodiversity loss that we see all around the world. How, how can we make sure that our recovery does that? So some European politicians based in the European Parliament, set up this uh, Green Recovery Alliance. And, and we said, why? 
we have something that could actually be a tool here, right? We got some good principles and criteria. We got procedures for, for ecosystem services management. We got all these things. Couldn't they be tools in that setting? So we said, well, we would like to be part of this and we're accepted to be members. So that's one thing we will do. Mm-hmm. And one of, one of the things we will look at is what does green mean? Is green then only environment? And, and I know from, I mean, in Africa, for instance, what we're hearing is that um, what's happening is because of the COVID crisis and people cannot go together, they cannot, the informal economy is moving out of the cities because you can't live in the cities anymore. So it's moving in into the rural areas and that creates a new pressure on natural resources. So mm-hmm. what does forest certification certified companies do in that situation? I mean, and that recovery how do these people, do they go back to the cities where there were anyway too many people? Do they find a living in the rural areas? And if so, what does that mean for natural resources in those places? And how can we make sure that it becomes sustainable? I mean, all of these questions, mix of social, mix of environments, so we want to be part of finding solutions to those. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's more of a, is it like a discussion forum or what? A- it's not a decision-making body, <clears throat> but given that it has big companies, it's got NGOs like us. It's got politicians inside. It will be a place for venting and developing ideas that can then by the politicians be put to the parliament, by the companies be put into their own operations, by NGOs be put sort of out for discussion in the world. So that that's how I see it working. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically a platform for engagement. Sounds- a platform for engagement and for, <clears throat> like we say, in the global strategy that we're developing at the moment it's a we we want to be part of a community for co-creation we are one ourselves and we hope this will also be a community for co-creation of solutions that can make the world better after the crisis Mm -hmm. so and and then going back to the crisis can we already now see things that we've learned from this crisis i mean obviously we've been become much much better at virtual meetings We've become much, much, I, I become much better at cooking because I'm now at home every <laughs> evening. So I'm cooking now, which is a, a great thing, actually. Um, brings me back to my roots, say, 30 years ago when I actually didn't travel so much. So that's good. Um, but on top of that, I mean, I think we're learning how we can diversify income. So how we can become a more sustainable sustainable organization uh, and, and sort of resilient to different types of crises. Um, we learn how big our reserve levels should be and all of those kinds of things. I think we will learn a lot about how we can make audits and that control system that we have for our certification, how we can make that more smooth and leaner and cheaper and, and also avoid travel in some cases in that sense, using remote sensing, using uh, other tools that can can make sure that you can actually get information about something without necessarily having to go there. Mm-hmm. I think there are two things that you didn't mention, which I think are crucially important. First of all, I think what the crisis has shown, which isn't a surprise to us because we all re- always talk internally about the FSC malaria, that once you leave the organization, you never really leave. But I think the crisis has shown really just how strong an organization we yeah. are, that that all of the staff in a crisis situation, we just pulled together. Um, and and will everybody understands that we have to be reduced in time and we accept it. It's not a big fuss. It's not a big internal crisis uh, from a from a human resource management. The people just accept that and say, yes, that's good. And, and, and let's protect the organization for the longer run. 
Um, I think another thing that this crisis has also shown, and which uh, I will actually do a different podcast on, this crisis has has pushed us in our innovation skills mm. and in the way how fast we can respond to new situations on a normative level, like on a standards level. Um, so really pushing us out of our comfort zone and saying, well, okay, we have to rethink how things are done. And you're saying the same when you're talking about the virtual audits, really trying to to address the situation in a normal level that in my 15 years in FSC, I haven't seen us respond so rapidly to things before. No, thank that. That's brilliant. I mean, <clears throat> I'm 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 so impressed with with the colleagues at the Performance and Standards Unit who are churning out these derogations in mm -hmm. a speed that you're right we've never seen before, never ever, and in very good quality. I mean, of course there are mistakes, and of course there are things that need to be then changed. But we can do that, and and, and mm -hmm. we can get the system to actually work. And I think that's that's really laudable. Also, I was really, really so impressed and happy when we had the global staff meeting about that feeling of togetherness, even though we, we weren't together at all. Um, but that feeling of togetherness and, and the ability that we could have discussions, we could also have fun, we could also do things and and about finding solutions and being creative and, and, and being sort of constructive in, in getting that. That was spectacular. So I'm, I'm so happy. It's such a great organization. It's such a great place to be as a staff. And I hope it's also such a great great place to be as a member. We have many more members than we've ever had before. So it's it's mm -hmm. showing that there is an interest in that. Um, actually, as an organization, we are at record heights on everything, right? We have more certified land. We have more certificates for the chain of custody. We have more members. It's just amazing that mm -hmm. that, that happens in the middle of this crisis. Yeah, we're actually now, we've jumped 10 million yeah. uh, hectares in, in the midst of the crisis. And I, I know that at least in, in, in Denmark, where I spend part of my work time, we're seeing a massive, um, a massive request for memberships of FSC International, something we've never seen before, right. which is to me quite astonishing of, of companies, especially really wanting to, uh, to do their bit. So often in the past, when you wanted to join as an international member, you wanted to join because you wanted something to be changed. Right. You wanted impact on, through motions, et cetera. Right. That's not what we're seeing now. We're seeing we want to become members of FSC International because we want to be part of the community. We want to be part of the, uh, of the uh, movement that's doing something differently. And that to me is, that's a new tendency, which I'm, I think... I'm I think we're seeing the same in, in quite a number of countries. And I, I think also we have a situation where as an organization, we have all the reason to be optimistic about being able to actually cope with this crisis, come through it, come out stronger on the other side, having learned about speed, having learned about virtual means, digitization, all of these things which are crucially important for us. And maybe this is what gives us the push we really needed to sort of wake up and yeah, now we're going to go and now we're going to do it. <laughs> No. Okay, so once we've received that push, what does it look like? What does the future look like for FSC once we come out of the crisis? Well, we are in the middle also of developing our next global strategy. Uh, so for 2021 to 26, which is very much about using the fact that we are a community of very different interests coming together and, and wanting to do something and wanting to do good for the world's forest and do good for the environment, do good for social issues. Um, and use that to actually create solutions that are 
building on what we've done, because I mean, we've done tremendously well in terms of the certified area, etc. But we need to get better in, in having more certified and tropical forests. We need to get better with uh, smallholders and stuff like that. And I think being that community of co-creation, I think we will develop those solutions. They will be part of the global strategy that we are building at the moment. And I am very optimistic that we will come out of this crisis in a very good place. Mm -hmm. And I think also maybe one of the things that the crisis so far has given us is that we're focusing now, right? So we're mm -hmm. focusing on a few key projects. Could you mention some of those that we're really trying to hone in on? I mean, what, what's really important, for instance, is that we take this opportunity of having to do remote audits to then be really good at doing remote audits and build the tools that we need to make sure that the information needed to check whether the systems are being followed are there or not. So that's enormously important. Finding new ways to get data about what does certification actually achieve. I mean, does it make a difference whether a forest is certified or not for biodiversity, for people, for the workers, or doesn't it? And and we have a lot of data, but it's in in audit reports where you cannot really dig it out, at least not easily. And that's being worked on now to actually get digital audit reports that will provide the data that we need for that. Because I'm absolutely sure and that's part of the global strategy as well, that in five years, a certificate will still be valuable, but it won't be enough. Mm -hmm. If the certificate doesn't come also with clear knowledge about what has that certificate achieved on the ground, then it'll be, well, why, why are we doing this? I mean, we want that information. We don't just want the certificate. So that's what we're working to provide at the moment. Mm -hmm. Enormously important. Mm -hmm. I think you're missing one. Uh, I'm missing many. But yeah. I do want to mention, <clears throat> I do want to mention also our work on Indigenous peoples, um, because we have just established what's called the FSC Indigenous Foundation based in Panama, which is a, a new institution led by an Indigenous person, led by or governed by a board of Indigenous peoples, but linked to us. So it does something that I think very, very few, if any, organizations in the world does, which is it's genuinely Indigenous, mm -hmm. but it's at the same time helped by a experienced, I would say, very credible and, and respected organization, which is FSC, and can then go into the world and say, we want to work on making sure that indigenous rights are respected and that indigenous peoples get tools, FSC certification being one of them, community mm -hmm. certification or ecosystem services, whatever, that will help them protect and build their livelihoods. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea. And it seems to be unique. It seems to have a lot of traction with uh, donors. So we have now, uh, <clears throat> first of all, have a, a, a concept uh, accepted by, by USAID. And they have now also accepted that we can go into contract negotiation for a grant of six and a half million dollars for the Indigenous Foundation to work over the next five years to help Indigenous peoples around the world strengthen their their rights protection and strengthen their livelihoods mm -hmm. a lot of potential there interesting it also sounds like an obvious uh topic for for a podcast in the future okay. you sound optimistic about fse going forward and coming out of the crisis i am because i i i mean i was very very worried when the COVID 19 crisis started and <clears throat> we didn't really know what to do with it but then as we began sort of ensuring the resilience financial of FSC. So I'm not worried for the organization in terms of our finances. We will manage. We have good reserves. We are now taking precaution in terms of our costs, et cetera, short term. 
That'll be fine. I see a lot of new energy in the organization. I see the focus that you're also talking about coming, focusing on digitization, focusing on working with our social groups on creating things, generating data that is important for everybody. And I see our members sort of being engaged, wanting to discuss more. I see us being able to provide tools for them to, to do that. And I see our network partners around the world actually trying to diversify their own incomes and creating ideas for how can we change our system. So maybe we've broken out of a uh, sort of a, a, what is that called? A straitjacket that, <laughs> that we thought, oh, this is what we are. Maybe we're actually seeing, oh, by the way, that straitjacket is not really what we are. And I think we see a lot of that also in the global strategy. I love this idea of a community for co-creation. I think we can do much more of that. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, Kim. I, uh, I will leave this podcast episode with a, positive outlook on the future and what we can do Uh, thank you for your time and for wanting to be part of this you're welcome (laughs) Bye. bye i hope you were left as optimistic about the future as kim and i am and also agree that we will come out of this stronger as mentioned in the interview our next episode will dive even deeper into our covid response I have invited our chief policy officer, Hans-Jorkim Druster, or Akim as he's internally known, for a talk on the normative changes in FSC to address the COVID pandemic. That is, what changes have we made to our standards to enable certification during these difficult times? Why and how? More on that next week. If you want to get in touch with us or follow our work, I strongly encourage that you join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovation and is open for everyone. You can always also get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I'm Laura Worm and this was Forest for the Future.